Hello and welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I'm your host, Valerie Complex. We're back for another splendid episode. Now, we're here to talk about the film Chevalier, which premiered at Toronto last year, but was released in theaters on April 21st, 2023. Chevalier follows the rise, fall, and rise once more of mixed-race violinist, composer, and fencer Joseph Bologna, who was considered the Chevalier de Saint-Georges. Now, that is, I believe that's a title that's given to French aristocrats, sort of like knighthood. Correct me if I'm wrong. But anyway, Joseph was lauded by French aristocrats in the 18th century for his talents and for his work. The film is directed by Stephen Williams with a screenplay written by Stephanie Robertson. And they are our guest on today's show. Now, I do want to highlight that this conversation took place in April of this year, uh, several months before the writer's strike. So there's no crossover there. I also want to mention that Chevalier will be available on all major digital retailers, including Hulu, Prime, Video, Apple TV, Vudu, and Movies Anywhere on June 16th. Be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast on Apple and Spotify. Now, before we get into the conversation, here's a small sound bite from the trailer of Searchlight's movie, Chevalier. Break his hands. This world is painful for us, my son. But there is always the choice to fight. I'm putting on a concert. Let us fund the revolution. We cannot afford to make any more enemies. France is changing. You could be more influential than you know. Leverage it. If you take to the stage, you will be erased. There will be no new France. You cannot topple what has been ordained by God. Not everything is about you, people. Thank you and and welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I really appreciate you guys coming on to talk about Chevalier, one of the the films uh, that I really liked out of Toronto. Um, It was definitely an experience. It was something to behold. I was glad I was in a a theater, in a large theater, Um, you know, and being able to see it on the big screen was really an experience. So to start off, I'm just curious to know when each of you first heard about Joseph Bologna. Um, I first heard about Joseph Bologna when I was a teenager in high school. My mom had given me a book that had mentioned him briefly. And so he's someone I've known about for the past 15 years. But I was, I mean, I, I was in the orchestra maybe around that time, a little bit before that time at school. And he was someone who wasn't taught to me. And I think the older I got, I, I realized that um, him and his story and his contribution to music and fencing and to even the, the political narrative that he's a part of, um, just wasn't known at all by academics, by peers, by um, by anybody. That I think at the time when I was younger, online there was also maybe not that much. Maybe just even a shorter Wikipedia page than there was now. And maybe mm-hmm. I think there was, there was one there was one website that 
had a bunch of information on it, but even that like sort of contradicted itself. And, and so there just wasn't a lot going on. So I, I've known about him for a long time and um, I'm happy that now that, that that has seemed to change, at least uh, in my experience, I met more people who do know who he is and, um, and there is way more information about him in his life, but at the time, not the case. And Stephen? I had not heard, I am uh, embarrassed to admit that I had not heard a thing about Joseph Bologna or Chevalier uh, until I received Stephanie's script in mm-hmm. my inbox. <laughs> um, and uh, it opened a door to, um, you know, a years long investigation uh, on 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 my my part, certainly to try and kind of get up to speed about everything pertaining to to Joseph's life. Mm-hmm. When writing the script, how did you go about choosing what elements of his life you wanted to put to screen? Well, there are, as Stephen can attest to, there are multiple versions of the script. So there there were versions that had way more information. There are versions that I think had way less information. And um, I, it sounds like a cop-out, but I feel like a lot of what we do end up seeing in the in the final product is a result of budget. Mm-hmm. There's a result of the, the medium, you know, film being what it is and to, to dramatize what we needed to dramatize within the length and the parameters of telling a film, which is something that we both wanted to do. You know, that, sort of, that guided us, I think, in how we shaped the script as well. You know, incredibly different than doing a miniseries, right, where you probably right. had more freedom to go into each little, like, avenue and... Mm-hmm. Um, and all of this man's life. Um, and I think the biggest thing for me and Stephen, and Stephen, if I'm misspeaking for you, please tell me to shut up. But I have a feeling I'm not. <laughs> um, but I think for the for the both of us, I think what we were drawn to was this particular point in his life uh, where, where we assumed that there was some kind of transition happening within his psyche, meaning... This is a man who was rubbing shoulders with the king and the queen and Marie Antoinette and was invited to Versailles and he was playing operas and concerts for nobles and uh, was widely celebrated not only um, within sort of popular culture at the time, but specifically aristocratic culture. So this is someone who at one point was what we would call maybe in Mm -hmm. at some point fell out and made the choice to take up arms against the people he was once fraternizing with. Mm-hmm. And that to us, I thought was most interesting. And I, I think the other thing, at least to me, um, was just, just the artistic and musical and creative aspect of his life. And, and that's sort of how I was able to access it as a writer and as a creative and as someone who is, I think, struggled with like, okay, what does creativity mean and how can I make it mean something or does it mean anything at all? And like, how can I explore my identity within um, creative expression? That part of his life just felt personal. And I think that Mm -hmm. the best work is somewhat personal. So that's a long answer, (laughs) very different, you know, um, access points and to, to like, what I guess we were thinking about at the time, but that's sort of the long of it. What's interesting when you talk about like someone who was in, who fell out, I was sitting in a theater with a friend actually, who was talking about, (laughs) she said, what the hell made him believe that that was going to last? 
And, you know, I thought about it and, you know, there's something, there's a message there about the sort of intoxication of fame and, and status and how that seems to always sort of elude people of color, you know, at the, specifically at that time, uh, Joseph Bologna. Um, but my friend just couldn't get over the idea. She was like, I just don't understand what made him think that way. Um, and I mean, I'm curious to know, you know, your opinions on that. I know you wrote the script, but if you, you know, think back and travel back in time, so to speak, and think about that, what what would be his reasoning for attaching himself to something so outside of himself, expecting to be rewarded? It's a great question. Stephen, do you want to take it? <laughs> Yeah, sure. I think a number of things are going on. I think it's a it's a really uh, interesting and and smart um, and perceptive uh, observation and question. But I think that for me, the 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 way to kind of approach answering it is is twofold. First of all, France prided itself uh, and French culture at the time in immediately in the run up to uh, the revolution. You know, um, seventeen eighty nine. Uh, prided itself in being a more uh, e potentially egalitarian place than many other European nations. I mean, obviously that that was a misguided uh, appraisal of them of of their culture, but nonetheless, there it is. And then I think that you know, then as now, the notion that if you excel, if you can just excel in the lingua franca of the culture that you find yourself in then you then doors will open for you and you will be accepted whether you're black or from any other kind of um you know uh excluded um demographic or group and so i think that that was joseph's notion and i think that you know if you look at if you kind of compare that to e even today i think that you our first black president, Barack Obama, whom I adore and revere, clearly felt that if he excelled, whether it was at law school or in the realm of politics and ascended to the highest office in the land, that somehow doors would open for him. Even he felt that way. And yet there it was, Barack Obama being denounced openly from the floor in an unprecedented way when he delivered his State of the Union speech. So uh, I think that that was what was the operating principle inside Joseph. It, as his father's advice was upon depositing, depositing him in France, uh, always excel. And, uh, and he wasn't completely off base, actually. The historical record is such that Joseph excelled across a number of uh, vectors of, uh, of achievement, whether it be as an equestrian, as a fencer, as a marksman, as a violinist, as a composer, as a conductor, and did in fact ascend to the highest level of uh, French society. It's just that that's a conditional social position. The, right. the, the, the guardians of power reserve the right to expel you um, should they see fit. And right. that's the piece of the puzzle that I think Joseph was naive about. Mm -hmm. Not that he could ascend if he excelled, because he did. It's mm -hmm. just that he would remain there potentially permanently. That was where his naivete came, came into play. And I think that many of us feel 
fall victim to that ourselves. <laughs> well, that was the the sort of this sort of you know this basing this off the conversation me and my friend had. There's a there's a modern element to it because we all know people who were in conditional circumstances that thought that they would excel when that was sort of just it for them in that in these circles that they just sort of ran in and they thought that maybe they were more valuable to the group than they thought they were but that and there's also you know a sense of there's Joseph goes through a lot like he goes through the shame the guilt and everything as he deals with having been expelled from this sort of universe that he sort of lives in so thank you for that really uh astute answer because I me and my friend really we really went at it for a couple of hours actually over that so um I hope can I just can I, I mean, can I just jump in yeah, and add please. to Stephen yeah. to what you were yeah. saying I think the other the I think everything that Stephen said is is exactly correct and I think the other the other piece of it too that I think that we often overlook is just sort of outsiders are is like what is his other option you know a little bit. It's like, what is the other option? And I'm what I mean when I say that is like, this is someone who excels at violin. And the only avenue in which to excel at his craft is to perform for aristocratic or members of the aristocracy and, and, and to get money from patrons who were largely tied to the aristocracy right. in order to further... Uh, to, to further, I guess, go after his passions. It, the question I think that raises in my mind a little bit too is like, well, what is the other option to, you know, right. crowdsource a bunch of money from a bunch of black people at the time? Maybe, sure, fine. But that's not as easy as we like to think that it is, you know, as sitting in the back seat. like, well, why didn't he just do X, Y, or Z? And it's sort of the <laughs> same thing now. Like if you look at, I don't know, um, Black people living in Hollywood or, or rather operating within Hollywood and the entertainment industry, it's not as easy to start your own network like Oprah or Tyler Perry. You have to become Oprah or Tyler Perry first before you pull enough money, enough goodwill, um, enough resources to then actually fully control your products and do what you want to do within the within your own, the realm of your own passion. So I think that's the other part too. It's it's in this, there's a scene in the movie where it's not it's not exactly this but it's i think speaks to sort of a similar thing which is when marie josephine is sort of like why aren't you why don't you get married right and he says well i can't marry anyone of my class because then i get demoted essentially or i i you know it's illegal rather it's illegal for me to marry anyone of my class meaning a white person of my class but um and she sort of poses to him well why don't you marry a negro woman and that's sort of the obvious answer, right? And his rebuttal to that is like, well, if I do, then everything is taken away from me. My title, my money, my status, everything that allows me to be who I am is taken. So I'm sort of stuck in this system that is unfair. And the only thing I can do is operate as best I can within that system. And I think that I think it's much easier for us to sort of say, well, why didn't he do this? Or why? Like, how did he not see? And maybe he did see. You know, that's the other thing. It's like maybe he did sort of know in his soul that maybe something like this wouldn't necessarily have lasted forever. But I think at that point, it's about survival, right? It's right. Like do what you can. And there's nothing with holding out hope, too. That's what I was telling my friend. I was like, there's, you know, he was hopeful that maybe people 
had changed and maybe ideas had changed and that, totally. you know, I was like, there's, there's two sides of it all. And it reminds me of, of a, of a quote that Hattie McDaniel has said one time, like I'd rather play a maid than be one or something like that. And then I think about how that sort of logic applies to this situation and many other situations like it, whereas like, it's the difference between abject poverty and like, you know, trying to excel. You know, you brought it back into the realm of our particular avenue of creative endeavor, right? Mm -hmm. Filmmaking. And I would say that even today, 2023, without wading in too deeply into troubled waters or naming any names, there are a number of people that I think we could all collectively think of who a number of of Black artists, uh, specifically, who felt that if they excelled in this particular realm, then they would be recognized. And I would say that given recent and current events, there's all kinds of flags on that play and questions about that. So even now, 2023, people still feel like all I have to do is execute the mandate of the task in front of me with excellence and I will be treated and seen fairly. And I don't know that I would say that there's reason to debate whether that's actually true. Yeah. I know Holly Berry talks about that a lot all the time. She talks about her post Oscar win and how things sort of went and how she expected them to go versus how they actually went. So that's interesting that you brought that up. And that's one example. Um, I wanted to sort of switch gears a little bit and talk about the production aspect of it. I've never really seen... I won't say I never really seen, but it's rare to see black characters amongst such resplendence and, um, you know, especially in a period piece. So can you talk a little bit about how this sort of production design and costuming came together? Because I was really sort of taken with the styling of everything from the production to the sets to how people looked. And I was like, this is a huge, like, this is a huge thing. This is a huge production. Like, you know, all the ideas, like once you get the script and everything and it's time to like, how do things come together? So. I mean, look, first of all, it, it can never be said enough that, you know, uh, directors wind up getting a lot more credit than they deserve. So Mm -hmm. I was, uh, and we were together, you know, supported by an amazing production designer, uh, Karen Murphy, who is actually nominated this year for Elvis Mm -hmm. for the same, in the same craft category. We had um, an amazing costume designer, hair and makeup team. And, you know, we all were united in the desire to accomplish a fairly, tricky balancing act which was to keep one foot in the uh in the period of the time and yet at every turn and this goes all the way back to the 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 genius of stephanie's script one of the things that stephanie understood before any of us and was able to execute so successfully uh, on the page and and producerially was the idea that even though these events were taking place in 1700s france they you know, if you squinted and you ignored those wigs and those costumes, those same events could be happening yeah. today. 
Right. And so we the balancing act was how do we honor the period in which the story took place and yet nod to uh, and infuse it with a contemporary vibe and feeling and tone because it feels like it could be happening now. And also we wanted to really kind of tell the story through Joseph's eyes as if it was happening to him in real time, as if the mm. events of the movie were unfolding to him in real time, not at some kind of distanced uh, remove that is often like, you know, uh, the hallmark of, you know, uh, masterpiece or prestige theater or cinema. You know what I mean? We want it to be, have it, have it had, have a sense of immersion and immediacy yet still, as I said, honoring honoring the the, the period in which the in, in which the story unfolded. So um, that was the intent. And to give Stephen all the credit too, more I mean, he's incredibly humble, but <laughs> takes up the more than his or needs to take up more than his fair share of credit. He and I remember early on, Stephen, you had said something. You had sent me an image, and it was an image of a conductor holding a baton, and the hand was black. And it was like his skin was black, the conductor. And you, I think, early on keyed into this idea, Stephen, that like just that image in and of itself is provocative, right? To see right. Um, characters with this complexion within this context, in, you know, in music, in classical music, right? But then to add that other layer, to see them in the resplendence, Valerie, that you're sort of talking about and and the 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 costumes and the the period and like really I mean I really truly is I think a period film in that in that way and I, Stephen I don't think you shied away from that I think you leaned into exactly everything that you said just the period and how important that was but I think that you were also aware too about how provocative that in and of itself to just have these characters exist within this world which I think that we subconsciously associate the opposite with you know and right. I think that, that right. um is so powerful uh just alone and by itself. And I think that Stephen had just had such an amazing eye for that. And, and you can track that so well throughout the movie that it is just so, I think, moving and striking in that way. I think I definitely was able to tell, you know, when I went to, to TIFF, I had gotten to the film slightly late. And so I don't know if you guys had had a previous introduction on stage before the movie started, but after the movie was over, I was like, I, I know, I was like, I know, this has to be by black folks. I was like, I knew it. And so when you guys walked out on stage, I was like, yep, I knew it because it was something about the story. <laughs> it was something about the story and the direction that I was like, this is captured in a way people that can really relate has, has executed. You know, Stephanie from the very beginning was like, look, Joseph was like Prince or Jimi Hendrix mm -hmm. at the time. And he had swagger. And so it behooved us to try and, you know, in, put some swagger in the movie as well. Mm -hmm. Like I just knew I was like, and it was, it's not just that it was something about the, the story elements, the corn rolls. It was just some, I was just like, you know, there was just these little things that I was like, yeah, only someone who knows about that would be able to write it. And it's no shade to anybody else, but you know, there are experiences that, only we share uh, together across the diaspora. So I was really happy to see like, you know, some of those small details. And when you talk about swagger, what was it about Kelvin Harrison Jr. that made that, that he sort of translated that swagger of, you know, 
1700s, pretty much rock star um, in sort of Joseph Bologna. I mean, he's just uh, an amazing actor. Like Mm -hmm. he, you know, I think that sometimes, and I've had this experience as we've been early stages of touring the movie is like, I find myself asked this question about Kelvin, you know, and I just have to keep coming back to the same thing, which is it's hard work. And mm-hmm. he put in the work and mm-hmm. he was focused and disciplined and committed and dedicated. And that's him bowing that violin throughout every frame of that movie right. and him moving with the violin and him fencing and him, just his body language, the way he inhabited that the, those costumes and just gave it the right amount of swagger and the right amount of a contemporary vibe and a feel to it just in the way he moved. That's just, you know, it's one thing as a director to ask an actor to do that, but then there's a huge gulf that has to be crossed by the actor's effort. <laughs> and he came ready to do that work mm-hmm. and he understood that role and he put it on his back and carried it through every frame of the movie. So, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know he has, about him. He's talked about how he has a long history with with music and how his parents were musicians and yeah. he played the violin and some other instruments. And yeah, I was really I was really impressed. Like, I know he can sing, too. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he's got the he's like he's got it on. Now we got to see if he can dance because he'd be a complete triple threat. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry, Stephanie. I don't know. I'm, I didn't mean to cut you off if you wanted to. No, no, no. I have nothing to add. Everything that Stephen said was completely spot on. Kelvin just does the work and he takes it seriously. You know, this movie for so many people was a labor of love. Like, I, I mean that. It really was. Like, if you signed up to do this movie, you were there because you you wanted to make this you want you wanted to put this stuff into the world and you wanted to do the work and i think no one is more emblematic of that than kelvin um he's in every scene of the movie um the dialect the 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 way he holds his body as stephen said the choreography the fencing the 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 violin like just wrapping his mind around to what was happening historically at the time the research that he did i mean he did all of that himself without prompting and he was eager to do it and he was eager to ask questions and um in that way yeah i have nothing that he's just a dream to work with because he's an incredibly hard worker who cared he just cared about the role and another performance that really stood out to me was lucy boynton because um me and my friend, again, we talked about how she was like the perfect uh, 1700s Karen. <laughs> that was something that came across as well. And the whole thing about, I've helped you, your people or whatever. We were like, oh no. Like, you know, we were really going through the motions in that theater. So, um, and I remember when I met her in Toronto and she talked about certain things that she didn't know and how she sat down with you guys and had certain conversations about um certain conversations about uh certain things and how to portray this character so i was wondering if you guys could speak to that really quickly as well yeah i mean you know the more that we talk about this movie steve and the more that I, I feel like i'm able to sort of drill down on what this movie is in that like what it, how what it represents and I, I guess i guess what 
what this movie means to our community as well. And we just we just recently watched this movie at the Pan-African Film Festival, which was an incredibly singular experience. And um, it was incredibly vocal, incredibly moving and incredibly fun. But I think after that experience and even just the conversations we're having now specifically about the characters, I really do feel like this movie is a black opera, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's operatic and it's... Um, it's simple in its storytelling. It's simple in its journey. It's simple in in right this idea of transformation and um and and this sort of singular journey of this character. And I think in regards to Lucy and Marie Antoinette, I think Marie Antoinette within the framework of this black opera right is representative of so many things. She isn't just Marie Antoinette. She is representing aristocracy. She's representing convenient allyship. She's representing um, uh, God-given right versus earned earned rights. She's she's representing so much, and I think that you know that's a hard character to play, especially given that Marie Antoinette is one of the most played or most performed characters in history, right? Mm-hmm. Theatrically and even in film. And she had so much to pull from, but I, I think that's sort of like that extra piece of it is that, you know, she is playing Marie Antoinette, but she's not at the same time. She's, she's mm-hmm. having to embody so much of what's happening, what was happening then in a character and so much of what's happening now and sort of pulling, you know, I guess pulling that um, that conflict together. Um, I don't know where I was going with that, but that is how I see the character, and I think that's sort Perfect. of how she, you know, approached it and was really smart in portraying that and very nuanced about it. I think that's exactly spot on. Exactly everything you said, spot on. I I really enjoy this conversation, Stephanie. I know you have to go, um, but I I'm looking forward to others seeing this film and us continuing to have those conversations because I think that's one of the most important things that a a film can do is create a conversation uh, around it, whether you agree or not or whatever. Being able to leave the theater and talk about it is is very important, especially when it comes to our history, um, things that are a part of our narratives, learning more information. So you guys did a fantastic job with that. And I can't I can't wait to continue the conversation further. 